Have you ever heard the phrase, like father, like son? Yes, I'm assuming you have. I grew up, uh, I had a wonderful dad. Uh, we grew up on the baseball diamond. I have an older brother who plays baseball, or played baseball, and I remember uh, as soon as I could walk, my dad coached all of us, me and my brother growing up, through baseball. But uh, before I could start playing, I was naturally the assistant coach, right? Like I followed my dad around, even as like a two-year-old, sitting on the, the bench or on the bucket throwing sunflower seeds, maybe not as a two-year-old, but like as a four- or five-year-old throwing sunflower seeds into my mouth, I, I looked like my dad. He would even let me, uh, because baseball was a lot different back then. Now it's like competitive where you can't, you know, it, it's just a lot different story. But back then, you could be on the field, and I would stand by my dad. My dad would be on the third base, you know, and he'd give signs like this to, to my brother. And I'd be like, you know, just trying to mirror him, trying to be like him, because I wanted so badly to be like my father. And after practices, we'd even stop at this little country store on the way home, uh, and we would, he would get me an RC Cola, he would get Red Man Chew, and I would get Sunflower Seeds. And, uh, and then eventually, like some beef jerky chew that I thought, oh, well, this is what it looks like to be like my dad. Not always good things, uh, but nonetheless, I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to go where he went. I wanted to be where he was, stand how he stood, eat the food that he eats. And as I grew, my mannerisms, my jokes even, how I even talk, some of the things I eat are just like my dad. The older I get, oh, the more I have to just look in the mirror and think, holy smokes, I see my father in me. Now wonder, you know, the things that used to annoy me as his 18-year-old son, now I'm like, I think I'm annoying my kids, just like my father did. I wanted to be like him. They're, uh, I wanted to imitate the things that he was about. Deacon, now as a father and having three kids, I see my children want to imitate the things I do. Deacon, the other day or a couple months ago, wanted a belt. He sees dad wears a belt and he's like, well, I like a belt. And I'm thinking, you don't need a belt, but they sell kids belts. So we went out. He wanted to be like dad. We bought him a belt and he wears his belt. Praise God, he loves vest, right? I'm not in a vest today, but we're both in a plaid shirt, but he loves vest just like his dad does, and he wants to imitate and be where I am. He's starting to, to look like me and to say the things, and that's very scary, right? Like as a parent, you're like, oh man, I, they really listen to everything. That's why the children's message is so scary. You send your kid up here and you're like, what are they gonna say? What is going to come out of their mouths? But... We want to imitate our father. Now, I know not everybody has that same upbringing as I did with a, a wonderful dad, and I know that. But interestingly enough, Paul, as we pick back up in chapter 5, brother and sister, the call for us is to imitate our heavenly father. No matter what your upbringing was, if you're a born-again believer, a Christian brother and sister here, we are to imitate, to look more like our Father in heaven, to be imitators, as Paul says, as dearly loved children. So the question I have for you, for me today, is who do you look like? Just a simple phrase to, to ponder on, to think on today and throughout the week is who do you Look like. On Tuesday, who will you look like? On Wednesday, in your job, who will you look like? When things are going great and when things are going terrible, who will you look like? Perhaps when you're iced in for a week and your children are all at home, 
After the second day, who will you look like? Y'all ready? Ephesians chapter 5. Let's see what God's word has for us. Again, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's Bibles underneath your chairs. I think it's on page 1038. Is that right, Jake? Yes, 1038. That's our gift to you. Take that Bible. We'd love to put that in your hands. But Ephesians chapter 5. Who are we to look like? Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love. Sound familiar? This is now the third time if you've been around for a little bit in Ephesians where we've seen walk in love. As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So Paul says very clearly here of who we are to imitate, and it's God, the Father. And here's the beautiful picture of this, because you're like, well, I've never seen God. I don't know what we're supposed to look like. Nobody in the Bible even except for just this bright, vast, beautiful light. Like, how are we supposed to imitate that? Well, he gives us the perfect example. Walk in love as Christ has loved us. Paul, throughout our, our time in Ephesians, we're halfway, a little over halfway through now, he's constantly taking their eyes off of themselves and he's placing their eyes, he's saying, draw your eyes off, bring them off of yourself and put them on Jesus. Over and over again, he's been pleading with them to see this new life of what it means for them to walk worthy of the calling that they've been given in Christ. And he says, with all humility and gentleness and love, earlier on, he's encouraged them that part of their calling is to grow in the good gifts that the Father gives through who? Through Jesus Christ. Why do we have the gifts? Why does he give us the gifts through Christ? Well, to equip you to carry out the work of the ministry in the church. Why? So that they can encourage and build up the body. The body of who? The body of Christ. Our perfect example. We get these gifts to grow, as Paul says, back in 2 and 3, to grow in maturity. In chapter 4, looking more like who? As we use our gifts, we look more like Jesus Christ. He's told them over and over again that their new life is to look radically different. They're to continually be taking off the old, as we saw a few weeks ago, and putting on this, this new life that has been given to them through who? Through Christ. And then last week we saw how this practically even plays out in our speech with one another. Pastor Ryan said that they would speak the truth in love. Paul says that their speech would build up and encourage, not tear down. That's not the way of Jesus. That they would be kind and compassionate with one another. Forgiving just as Christ forgave them. That's that call. Now he says, be imitators of God by walking in love. How? As Christ has loved you. It sounds so simple and so easy, and yet we make it very difficult and complicated. Why? Because we're sinners in need of God's grace every moment of every day. But the call is there to walk in love as Christ has loved you. The heart of motivation for you comes from the Father. How do you do this? The, the heart of the motivation comes from the Father who gave everything, who gave us this perfect example in Christ. Christ loved us 
Paul says, and he gave himself for us because we are his. If you think back to chapter 1, we are now adopted, his children, now co-heirs with Christ. Because of that, you, brother and sister, you now can walk in that love and you can imitate the Father as his dearly loved children. Or let me even put it this way. Jesus, your big brother, has shown you how to look like the Father. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that God says, imitate the Father, and here's the perfect example through the Son. Let your big brother show you what it looks like. He says, Christ, all over and over again, the call to look like the Father, the call to obedience, to walk in truth and life with Jesus Christ, is this simple two-word two phrase, and it says, follow me. Follow me, follow your big brother. Walk in step with Jesus. So this new way, this new life, this new calling is rooted, rooted in the ultimate demonstration, the sacrificial love of Jesus. Christ willingly, what did he do? He willingly offered himself as a sacrifice to the Father. That is your new way of life. A willing sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, growing to look like our big brother Jesus, laying down our life. And you know what's interesting here and beautiful? It's a beautiful little side note. I love this. Paul says that this act of love that Christ does was a sacrificial and a fragrant offering to God. That means the son laying down his life for you. It had this aroma that pleased the Father. A fragrant offering, this beautiful smell and sense to the Father. And you know what that aroma actually means for you, Christian brother and sister? It means that the wrath you and I deserved was absorbed through Jesus' body broken and his blood shed. That's why it's a beautiful aroma to you is that the wrath you deserved was diverted and placed on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And that, that perfect obedient sacrifice of the Son to the Father was an, a pleasant aroma, a fragrant offering that God then could turn his eyes back on you and call you co-heirs, call you his inheritance, call you his beautiful creation. Why? Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that Christ has done for you and to you and through you. And that's the love that Paul's saying, walk in that love. Walk in it. What grace it has been that it's been lavished on you and I. And I, we, it's part of the good news of the gospel that we never move on from. This grace that has been lavished on us. And if we are to look like the Father, then we need to follow the ways, again, of our big brother Jesus, who offered himself you want to look like Jesus, we've got to look at what our big brother did. He offered himself as a uh, sacrificial and fragrant offering to the Father on your behalf and on my behalf. Our lives then, to, to imitate that, our lives should be marked by costly sacrificial love towards him and towards one another. That's why we're constantly using these phrases like radically different. Your life should look different. We, Grace Church Alito, should look different than the world. Why? Because we're constantly laying down our preferences. Because we're constantly laying down our pride. And we're looking for those who we can serve and love and pour into. Why? Because that's our example in Jesus. So, what is your life marked by? 
What are you going to look like this week when things are good or when things are bad? What is your life marked by? Who do you look like in your relationships with one another? Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friend, your, your neighbor. Who do you look like in your relationships with one another? Do you serve because Christ first served you or do you serve for selfish gain? Ponder on these. Think about this. Do you love at all cost or only if you know you're going to get something in return? Christ got nothing in return. We turned our backs on him. Do you love like our big brother? Do you lay down your life for your enemies or do you turn the other way? For your enemies, not just your friends. Do you, are you willing to lay down your life for your enemies? Do you sacrificially love your children? Or do you withhold from them when they don't measure up to your ridiculously high standard? I love you, son, but fill in the blank. No, no, no. God's not like that. Jesus isn't like that. There's no buts with him. It's I love you. I love you. Do you withhold from your children? Do you lead your wife in a domineering way or do you sacrificially lay down your pride even if you know you're right and be gentle with her? Becoming an expert in her strengths instead of her weaknesses. You sacrificially love your spouse. Are you patient and gentle or are you condescending and irritable when someone looks to you for help? Now, that's a lot, a lot of questions to ponder, a lot of things to even just consider when we think about this. And that's a whole nother, uh, we could do a whole nother sermon series on the love of God and how it's displayed through, our, through Jesus Christ and how we're to look like that. I think some of us hear this, though, and, and you think to yourselves, man, how am I supposed to do this? Like, I'm not like my big brother Jesus. I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm never going to measure up to this. And you look at me and you're like, this guy's asking me to be perfect. This way of Christianity is apparently supposed to be perfect. Well, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not asking myself to be perfect. The Father's not asking you to be perfect. He's asking for us to be more in love with him than the ways of this world. He's asking for our, a life of obedience. And that's why Paul says to continue to put off and to put on. Newsflash, the life of a Christian is every day going to be this. Growing to look more like Jesus is going to be constantly taking off and constantly putting on. Fighting sin. Fighting the temptation to run back to the old ways. Fighting the temptation to just throw in the towel and say, you know what, it'd be easier if I just did this. What the flesh tells you and what God says, no, 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 let's walk in love. Let's walk in humility. He's asking for your obedience. We're growing, Christian brother and sister, to look more like our new family, as Paul says, as beloved children. And as you delight in God and all of his goodness and his grace that's lavished, that will overflow into every area of your life. And over time, the Spirit will make you look more and more like Jesus. Never perfect until the day you, you take your last breath on this earth and your first breath before your Creator. He's not asking you to be perfect. 
is asking you to be, honestly, the opposite. To just be you, be okay with not being okay, but he doesn't want you to stay that way. He wants you to grow to look more like him. A life marked by sacrificial love of Jesus is a beautiful adventure that just shows off to this world how amazing our God is. You know what the world doesn't need? It doesn't need a bunch of hypocritical Christians walking around like they are perfect. What it needs is is to actually breathe in the grace of, of us just saying, man, I'm not perfect, but I serve a perfect God. And he loves me and he cares for me and he's radically changed my life. And yes, it's like two steps forward and one step back, but it's all right. His grace covers that one step back and then his spirit convicts me and I'm able to, to redirect my worship back to where it belongs, to Jesus. That's what our world needs to see, that once we were dead, but now we've been made alive. Once you were blind, but now you can actually see because you've been made new. So what Paul is saying to them and what I believe is he is saying to us is that your way of thinking, your way of doing life, your attitude, your character, we ought to grow to look more like our big brother. We never graduate from this gospel of Jesus Christ, ever. When you get off track, you put off and you put on. When you start to stumble, you keep your eyes on Christ Jesus. When you're in over your head, you keep focused on Jesus. When you're Uh, wrestling with doubt. You stay centered on Jesus. When you feel like you can't go anymore, know that he will pick you up and take you the rest of the way. When you're not feeling it, look to Jesus. When you don't even know where you're headed, he will pick you up and take you. Look to Jesus. When you feel rejected, when you feel enslaved, when you feel unworthy, when you feel condemnation, Paul says, look to Jesus. He took your lashes, he took your beatings, family, he took your punishment and he put it on his shoulders. And when he turned, when you turned your back on him, he said, it was finished on the cross. And that is a sacrificial love that fully satisfied the Father. And now you've been made clean, washed, made righteous in God's eyes. You are now his beloved children. So walk in in love with him and with one another. Two verses. The whole book of Ephesians talks about this. Walk with him in love and one another. Now, up to this point, as we kind of pivot, Paul has focused a lot on our inward way of thinking towards one another. What I mean by that is is how that flows outward with how we walk with, how we love, how we talk to one another, as we saw last week. It's always been with Paul, because of this, his goodness, his grace, his mercy, don't do this, and then he'll say, instead, do this, walk in light. You're going to see next week. Don't walk in the ways of darkness, walk in light. It's over and over again with Paul, especially from chapters 2 on. This next section is no different. It's evident that Paul keeps driving home the fact that the gospel should and will change every area of our life. The seen and the unseen. How you speak, but also how you think. Not just our outward presentation, but the gospel is always going to collide with our heart. And it will overflow into every area of our lives. So because we are to imitate the Father through the sacrificial love of the Son, don't do this. Paul says. Look at our next section with me. But sexual immorality 
and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Remember that inheritance, that putting off your old way, you now have an inheritance in God, the new way, through Jesus Christ. So Paul's turned from describing this, this self-sacrifice to now the very opposite, right? Like here's what the sacrifice is, this sacrificial love laying down my life. Now he, he pivots and he shows you the opposite, which is self-indulgence. He's gone from self-sacrifice to self-indulgence, from genuine love to now a perversion of it called lust. Or as we see, words like sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscene, foolish, crude. Again, Paul later is going to describe these as fruitless works of darkness. It's interesting that Paul says these should not even be heard of among you. Now that doesn't mean you shouldn't wrestle with this, struggle with this, and keep it to yourself. Don't bring that up in community. No, what he's saying is, is you should be different, be marked different, and you should flee from this. He doesn't say you shouldn't struggle with this. Flee from it. Put it to death. So we need to understand that there are things in each of our life Christ is calling us to put to death. And here, it's made very clear for all of us. Any type of sexual sin has to be put to death. So let me explain just real quick. Sexual immorality. The word Paul uses in the Greek is pornonia. Newsflash. Pornography. That's where we get, that's the root word of where we get, if you think about our culture today. This phrase, along with impurity, covers every kind of sexual sin that Paul's talking about here. Sexual immorality and impurity. Now let me remind you who he's writing to. He's writing to the Ephesian churches, these little house churches, pockets of churches in Ephesus that sat right in the middle of a culture marked with sexual immorality. The Greek goddess Artemis was worshipped here. She was the fertility goddess, and people bowed down to worship her in the most sexually explicit and immoral and impure ways you could ever imagine. He's writing to men and women who for some have come out of this old way of life. Like this old way that used to mark them. They used to be marked by this. Sexual, immoral, impure lives marked with this self-indulgence and perversion of the idolatrous love that this world has to offer. And Paul says, don't even let this way of thinking be among you. Now, it's not the first time he's addressed sexual immorality in the community of believers. I'm going to walk through these. It'll be on the screen behind me. Galatians 5, now the work of the flesh are obvious. These are all Paul's letters to churches. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things. 
As I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Or how about his letter to the Colossians? So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above. How do you do that? Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. Or how about 1 Thessalonians? For this is God's will, your sanctification. You're growing to look more like Jesus. How? That you keep away from sexual immorality. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. And one last one to the church in Corinth, who was, they were just killing it as a church. Just joking. Where we see, actually, the first uh, church discipline case amongst a community of believers because a man is sleeping with his mother-in-law. This is the New Testament church. This is what Paul says. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So when people come to me as a pastor and they say, man, don't you just wish we could go back to the New Testament church and just live like them? I literally look at them and I say, newsflash, we are. Like they read Acts 2 and how the community of believers are all selling their possessions and living together and and love and just, I think, think that the New Testament church was just marked by just this beautiful, we're all sitting around a campfire every night just hanging out and kumbaya. And they were being martyred. They were being put to death because of the the Christ that they proclaimed. And they were dealing with the same stuff that we're dealing with today. So no, I don't really wish to go back to the New Testament church. I wish we had the apostles' teachings, but we do. It's right here. We've got to continue church to put to death something that has been ruining marriages for generations. Tearing families apart. Sexual immorality, lust, and greed will lead to death. We have to be a church that stops flirting with such sin and starts to push back. We have to learn how to fight. We have to learn what it means to flee from. And ultimately, we have to learn what it means to put it to death. So practically speaking, you could go a lot of different directions, but for time's sake, if the word Paul uses is pornonia, and that covers any kind of sexual activity outside of a committed and God-ordained covenant marriage, what seems to be the epidemic we, Grace Church Alito, 2023, in our world, what we seem to be fighting is this epidemic with pornography. Two quick things. Before I jump into this, one, the church doesn't need to be quiet about this anymore. We see it in the word. The statistics are there from even ungodly scientists and psychiatrists. The statistics are there. The science is even there. I've personally seen it rip families apart. We've got to push back this darkness with the light of the gospel. So that's number one. I can't not just look past this. In my own life and in the life of of those I'm called to shepherd. I can't just 
hey, we're going to skip five, one through seven. We're going to go on to something else. Number two, I realize we have kiddos in here. Parents, your children, if I could just put this gently, they're being discipled by something every day of their lives. You have a chance to step in and to disciple them with what they need, which is the sacrificial love of our big brother, Jesus. Like you're not alone. Some of you all are overwhelmed and thinking, man, how you use this word? How am I going to explain this to my kids? You're not alone. We have beautiful resources. The church is the best place for them to learn about sexuality. We have God's word. We have the original design. But you got to have these conversations. You got to have them with your sons and daughters sooner than later. And here's why. Latest statistics on children and youth, ages 8 to 18, their screen time has climbed. It's no wonder. You could go out to dinner. You can see the screen time. You can see it in adults, but I'm talking about children. Children between the ages of 8 to 12 are averaging five and a half hours a day on their screens. Children, youth, tweens, 13 to 18, they're averaging eight and a half hours per day. Now, some of that's going to be screen time at school, right? Like computers issued by the school. I get that. But also, they have phones at school. They're probably not studying. They're probably on some app. The usage continues to lower the average, hear me on this, of the exposure of pornographic material, whether accidental or intentional, to now the age is 10. By age 10, whether incidental or intentional, some type of pornographic material has come across their screen by age 10. That's the average. That means even below that age. They're being discipled by someone and something, family. We have to fight this. Paul tells us over and over again in his writings that we have to flee from it. You want to know how to fight? This is one of those, you don't go to war with it because you will lose over and over again. You flee in the power and the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ. You flee from it and you put it to death. Ray Ortland says in his book, The Death of Porn, we have these resources available for you. This morning, he says, you should have no budget of time for porn in your conscience. I'm speaking of men, women, youth here. Meaning the new life is one that imitates the father of of love, not the father of lies. So hear me on this. God created sex and sexual intimacy. So flee from any morality and cling to the worshipful expression of love that God actually intended to be good and worshipful in the right context. What I don't want our kids to hear is that all sexual intimacy is bad. No, no, no. It was created as a good thing. Heath Lambert in his book, Finally Free, on this says, God does not hate sex. He hates faithless sex with forbidden women. But he loves faithful sexual expressions in the context of marriage. God loves it so much that he commands, not just that it happen, but that it be enjoyed to the point of intoxication. It's the same thing that happened in the garden. God says, enjoy everything but this one thing. And the father of lies says, can you believe God told you not to eat of this? How selfish is this God? Paul's not telling them to flee from the sacrificial love and intimacy that Jesus shows with his bride and groom. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. He's saying flee from the thing that's going to lead to death. And man, we find ourselves wrapped up in sexual immorality, lusting after the perversion of love. We are living out of our old identity. Ortland, he goes on and he says, porn is no joke. 
but it's rather a modern-day plague that has consumed the lives of countless men, women, and even children, leaving only devastation in its wake. When you leave, when we leave the door cracked, Satan will swing wide the door into perversion that leads to death. I can guarantee that. He will swing wide that door. So listen. Okay. Got a couple minutes. Listen. If this is you, no, you don't have to walk in this alone. I bring you no shame and I bring you no guilt. There is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. At some point, all of sins of darkness will be exposed by the light of the gospel. In his grace, consider it a warning for all of us to flee from this. And if you're like, man, I've tried every step, every program, let us walk with you. I would rather walk and enter into a marriage that's wrestling with this now than in two years when it's too late. I'm tired of those conversations. I'm broken from those conversations over and over again. Don't put it off. Don't flirt with this. It will all leave you empty. Hear this beautiful truth from Ray Orland. Do you really think that after the cross, your shame drives God away? Nope, it sure doesn't. Your shame is precisely where he can recreate you the most gloriously. And that is what Paul is saying here. Don't go back, but if you do, would you look to the cross? Look to the grace that's offered and remember to put off the old and to put on the new. That's no longer what marks you. You've been washed and made clean. And maybe, maybe sexual immorality isn't even pornography. You, maybe it's just lusting after. Maybe it's what Paul says, uh, I don't have all the time in the world, but he talks about greed and he talks about how all of that is, is, is the idol of our heart, of your flesh. The, the father of lies says, you need this and you need it now. So welcome to my kingdom. Whatever you want is yours. Lies. It leads to enslavement. It leads to you only wanting more self-gratification, only wanting more of this. Now greed, as Paul says, only leaves you wanting more of what other people have. And in this context, he's talking about other, other bodies that you think you need. It all will lead to death. And he gives, us, he gives us the way of how to fight it. Just a simple, practical application. I'll, I'll be quick. The fundamental Christian response should always be one of gratitude. So Paul says, Don't let any obscene, foolish talking or crude joking, they're not suitable, but rather give thanks. When, when you're wrestling with greed... You think you need more. Fight it with giving thanks. God, thank you for my family. Thank you for my house. Speak it. Proclaim the thanks and give honor to God for what he's given you. When you're struggling with lust, sexual immorality, wrestling with pornography, the darkest, darkest secrets that you think you, that, that nobody knows about, when you're wrestling with that, give thanks to the Lord. He is good. 
and his forgiveness will cover your sin. Don't walk in darkness. Walk in the light. Let the light of the gospel expose all of that stuff. And that's not easy. That's like walking into a room and wearing a t-shirt that says, look at who I am, and it has all of your sins on there. And you're trying to have a conversation with somebody and they're just looking at you, your shirt, just reading. Adulterer. Idol worshiper. Luster. I don't think that's a word, but you know where I'm going. Liar. Greedy. And you know what the Father looks at you, brother and sister? You've been washed clean. You're his beautiful inheritance. Walk in the freedom that he offers of forgiveness. Like your big brother sacrificially did, laid down his life for you. Walk in that love. There's a lot more things. That I think Paul says, it's obviously it's God's word, it's great. But I think, not because of time, but I think just because of, you can read this, you can read the word, I encourage you to read it, I encourage you to ask questions in your group, like, hey, we didn't, doesn't look like Matt finished it, but I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit here. If you're wrestling with something right now, I mean, can I just personally tell you of what it means to walk in freedom. That feeling, that weight, just totally off of your shoulders allows you to actually walk in the newness of life. I mean, think about your baptism. If you're a Christian here, you're a born-again believer. The, the joy that you felt being dunked underwater and then coming up raised in the newness of life. That is the feeling of a believer that we should cling to and live by every day. Old off, new on, old off, new on. I keep finding myself in this sin. What, what is it in my heart that tells me there's, you know, behind every sin is an idol. Behind every idol is a, is a false sense of, of worship. You're giving your worship to something. That's what Paul says as he finishes out. Though it's a, you're an idolater. You want something more than God. And God, as a Christian, has said, no, I'm the center of your heart. You're bowing down to other idols. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So today, whatever you find yourself wrestling with or questions you have, I mean, don't, don't leave here today without talking to somebody. I told our people this morning, even last night, um, this is a heavy text, right? Like there's, I might get emails and I'm all right with that. Have the conversations. It's a heavy text. And it might have even peeled back some Band-Aids that maybe years ago, adults that you need to wrestle with. Things that were either done to you or that you did to others. Wrestle with those in community. Don't walk this life by yourself.